September, and it sure does feel like fall um, because <laughs> people are falling left and right. We I hate sh- starting the show on obits, Tim, but man, it's been a rough couple of weeks. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And, you know, and you know, interesting, you know, the whole range of folks. So, so we lost Michael K. Williams. Which was unexpected. Uh, that was unexpected, that was you know. premature. Yeah. Look, Michael. Uh, yeah, I knew Michael only slightly. Certainly interviewed him several times over over, over many many years. Uh, you know, great interesting story, uh, uh, Michael. But uh, Michael suffered uh, from from uh, issues around around uh, addiction uh, that were connected to issues around child abuse. Uh, and uh, and all kinds of other things uh, which he talked about many times uh, in public and you know and sometimes he would beat that demon and sometimes the demon would catch him Uh, super super talented super talented the the wire just a just a a huge chalky his his chalky his chalky white on um, boardwalk empire Uh, and just recently and how they see us and uh, and uh, Lovecraft uh, country I think he was nominated for one of those at the at the recent Emmy Awards yeah. Uh, there and you know nothing. People with nothing but wonderful things to say about Michael K. Williams. So you know, uh, and then we lost AJ Johnson. AJ Johnson, young black actor, relatively speaking to me, fifty-five years old when he died. Folks will know AJ from the Fridays uh, uh, movies franchise. So one of the great- also too young before his time. Oh, only fifty-five years old. And uh, my goddaughter uh, brought me in a photograph of uh, uh, the, the something she found on Instagram, and it's like the cast of Fridays, right? It would 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 exes <laughs> next to all yeah. the people who it's like geez screw you because Bernie Mac is gone and we got I I know. Mean, we, we lost it's cute we, we got we got cute cubes the only one he'll be the only one left and that's why it's kind of <laughs> weird that he's trying to reboot the franchise because there's no one left I'm like dude till Tiny's gone I'm like who's who, who's gonna be in this movie uh, dude, so 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 he's gone and of course uh, the exquisite uh, uh, Jane Powell yeah. Uh, lost Jane Powell. Now Jane, uh, lo- the real long life, nineteen twenty nine. Uh, I didn't uh, even so realize. She, I I didn't even realize she was still alive. To be honest, <laughs> I saw that she had passed. I thought, holy cow, Jane Powell was still alive. Like you know, that was one of those where you you just didn't know, right? Oh you, you, my God. Because she's she's one of the one of the old great ones. But uh, you know, royal wedding uh, with with uh, Fred Astaire, seven brides, just seven brides, seven, seven brides. brides. Yeah, uh, one of the one know, of the great all, all time greats. One of the great exquisite redheads, uh, Jane Powell. So you know, but uh, let's but let's talk about the big one, the really big one that I think just hit everybody in the gut because we nobody knew he was sick. And uh, I went I went to YouTube, and uh, you know how YouTube gives you little recommendations, and you'll see a little tiled picture, and it'll show you you know it's like sixteen different videos that are all recommended for you. And yesterday. All 16 recommendations were Norm McDonald bits. Norm McDonald. Every single one. And yeah, Norm, very private, sort of, sort of like kept it to himself. Not unlike Chadwick Boseman, you know, not too terribly long ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and uh, only a few friends and family knew that he was dealing with uh, uh, cancer. Uh, and, uh, it, you know, what's, what's amazing, you know, Norm McDonald, sure, love me some Norm McDonald, but, but when it's all sort of gathered together in one spot, and you saw to see him doing doing you know his 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 bit on Weekend Update as the anchor yeah. guy that he was you you see him doing that doing that Burt Reynolds you see him doing uh, that when you, when you Ferguson, like, it's a funny name Turd Ferguson when you see them <laughs> gather all of those things together you realize geez Williker this guy was funny oh he was uh, so it, funny. And uh, and uh, and uh, you know, and it was always funny to me. I love that sitcom that Norm did. 
uh, where he played the hockey player who who had gotten That's kicked right. out of the NHL for being like a brute and too. And, and it was a very short-lived uh, uh, sitcom. But I got to tell you, that thing was funny as heck to me. But mostly he was just this sort of quintessential supporting guy. Um, uh, Norm, as to whether it was in a movie with David Spade and Chris Farley and all the other guys, you, you, there would be Norm, uh, sort of like in the in the corner, just tossing out gems, tossing out gems, tossing out gems. Norm McDonald. You know, I uh, I was privileged to see Norm once live in person, and I think I've told this story on the show before, but I'm going to tell it again. And uh, he was, uh, it was a. Um, it was a it was a comedy panel at, uh, at the Lowe's Hotel in Santa Monica, and um, it was you know talking about comedy writing. And this was a big kind of a writing you know conference. It was writers on writing or whatever, one of those you know, some some title like that. So it was a lot of screenwriters and a lot of aspiring writers and panels and you know people swapping cards who'll never actually call each other. <laughs> and there was this panel on there was a panel on comedy writing. And uh, I remember uh, one of the panelists was Ed Solomon. And Ed Solomon said a very, very funny thing about how, you know, uh, he recently got a letter from uh, from Columbia Pictures saying that we're not going to be able to pay you residuals for uh, Men in Black anymore because, uh, you know, it's 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 just not it's now in the law and it's 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 a money loser. It's just never going to make money. So we just don't have any residuals to share with you. And he said and then he said, so they must be in it for the art because they also just hired me to write the sequel. <laughs> big <laughs> laughter, big laughter. And Norm Macdonald was also on that panel and the panel was being moderated by Hal Cantor. Now, Hal Cantor, a legend. If you don't know who Hal Cantor was, Hal Cantor major comedy writing legend in television and movie. It's just a whole thing. I mean, he's just an epic, legendary, original television sitcom comedy genius. And he was a crusty old guy at the time. And uh, Hal Cantor clearly didn't want to be there. Somebody threw some money at him and, and said, hey, come and moderate this panel. So he's, he's sitting there kind of grumbly and grouchy. And Norm, of course, was sitting there with that dumb grin on his face that he always had, like he, like he just peed in the punch bowl and he was just waiting to tell you about it. And uh, every for for like the first five six minutes of the panel, this every single time Hal Cantor started to say something, Norm would talk over him, <laughs> and and this went on, and and it, and you could tell Norm had had totally planned this out, and he was just gonna have so much fun with Hal. And Hal Cantor would say, "We'd like to thank you all for coming here," and Norm would go, "Hey, you know, I know how to thank a person for it," and he just butt right in and just step on it. He stepped on everything he said. And at a certain point, Hal Cantor just stops and looks at him over the rim of his glasses like he was going to murder him. <laughs> and the look on the look on Norm's face was so funny because it was just this sheer childlike bliss. And I think that's what defined him was that there was a even when, you know, he could talk about some pretty blue subjects. Oh. But like I watched one, this one clip of him on, on Conan where he was he was talking about um uh, what was it? Which uh, what movie was it uh, that he mistake? Oh, Pulp Fiction. And he said he he turned on the television. He was in a hotel room and it looked like it had Pulp Fiction on, but it turned out that it was Plump Friction, and it was a, <laughs> it was a porno. He goes, yeah, you ever, you ever watch a porno? <laughs> and Conan's cracking up, and you know he's talking about porn, but in in a really whimsical, childlike mm. way. That innocence, that sweet kind of dumbfounded innocence. It was he's just priceless. 
He's one of the few who could get away with uh, kind of laughing at his own jokes and having that smile on his face, Norm. Yeah. Uh, when he, he, he look, it's what got him fired off uh, uh, SNL. I know. Uh, he was very proud of, but he he simply this was doing the whole you know the, Nicole O.J. Simpson the whole that all of that the trial the, yeah. the, the glove the whole thing and 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 a good chunk of the comedy. Uh, on SNL, you know, played off of that stuff, and they, and, they, and they, you know, they made hay of it. Norm, uh, when he was doing, you know, Weekend Update, the the anchor guy simply refused to stop doing the he wouldn't Nicole. Stop. He just wouldn't stop. He just wouldn't stop. And Sometimes he would just say, uh, 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 "Nicole Simpson." Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was the whole joke. That was the whole joke. And, and, and here's what's, here's what makes it even funnier. So a more recent, just within like the last couple of years, there was a clip from David Spade's comedy central show where he had all a bunch of the old gang back together who had done weekend update, right? Dennis Miller and yeah. right, they, they were all, they were all there and Norm, Norm was one of them. And it was, and they were all paying tribute to Norm and they talked about that and they brought up the OJ joke thing. And they said, would you tell any OJ jokes today? And Norm says, he goes, no, that was during the trial. He's uh, he was he was found innocent by a jury of his peers, and as far as I'm concerned, he's uh, he's an innocent man, and he's a hell of a guy. I'd love to get together with him. I mean, it was he just fl- he flipped. He goes, a hell of a guy, and they could and th- and they all tried to get him to tell an OJ joke, and he goes, no, no, he's a he's a free man. He's a free man. He's a hell of a guy, and I think I, I wish him I wish him the best, and he would not tell an OJ joke. He wouldn't go there. Beautiful, yes, beautiful. Oh, well, what Jill, you, it, you know. You, you just flip the flip it around. And it's kind of uh, funny though the, the folks who you don't realize. You know, look, I mean, you know, if, if Norm hadn't passed away the other day, yeah. uh, I, I, I'm not sure that I would have been. You know, thinking about Norm McDonald as no. know, one of the sort of stand up and comedic you know geniuses of our time, like Richard Fryer or whatever. Uh, yeah. um, but you know, it when put in when, when put in a very sort of specific context, yeah, you, you just never know who's who's gonna who's who's gonna be the person who was out there shining, and it turns out that one of them was Norm. So uh, let's talk Emmys. I did not watch. I have not watched. Honestly, I have not watched the Emmys in about 30 years. I gave up uh, when Hill Street Blues went off the air, when uh, China Beach (laughs) failed to win, or I can't remember what it was. But uh, for some reason, like around 1992, 93, I just kind of, I just said, I'm done with this thing. And I, I didn't watch. So how was it? I, when you look, I've been in and out on the Emmys over that period of time myself. You know, sometimes, you know, just for work, I would have to deal with whatever was going on uh, on the Emmys. The Emmys, the Emmys were fine. They looked, they looked decent. Uh, they were, you know, relatively speaking, in-person Emmys. They had some people in London, obviously everybody else, you know, more or less in town and the fully vaccinated blah, 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 blah Emmys uh, hosting a job done by uh, uh, Cedric the Entertainer. Some you know a couple of couple of funny bits here and there you know pre pre recorded bits uh, that were kind of interesting. Um, generally speaking, the winners. I have to I have to say that you know I don't watch or haven't watched enough uh, uh, television, uh, particularly network television, to, to to really tell you whether whether or not the winners and and, and whatnot made. Any sense? I know that This Is Us used to win a whole lot on the Emmys, and I and I didn't see it you know this time. Uh, as 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 one of the big winners across the board on on the Emmys, saw a lot of women. Um, so you know, I don't know. I, I, I suppose that the Emmys were okay. Uh, is what I have to say about the Emmys. Uh, but uh, you know, folks who are more attuned to the television, see, I don't understand the categories of the Emmys anymore. Back in the day, when you were talking about it, it was very easy to understand the categories. 
now I, I'm with streaming and everything. I just don't understand the categories and what the hell is Dude, going on. Dude, when it was, it's it's become like the Grammys to me. And and I have friends who belong to the Music Academy, and they no longer trust it. They think it's crooked and corrupt. They say, how is it possible that this album and not this album and so forth? You know, now there's so much product that there are behind the scenes machinations, right? There's politics going on over how you get nominated and the nominating committees and all this stuff. And it's it's seemingly getting there with the with the Emmys now too. When it was just three networks and seven days a week, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, I mean that that's manageable. You got prime; it's all prime time, and that's a three hour block. That's you know uh, three times three times seven. That's you know not unmanageable, right? Mm-hmm. That's how many shows you got. Um, maybe you know half hour shows you throw them in there, but I mean you know that's that's fine. That's not nine hours a night for seven nights. That's uh, you, you you can manage that. Now there are more shows being greenlit every month on Netflix than were produced in the entire decade of the nineteen seventies. Mm. That's too much product. You can't you can't wrap your arms around that. You can't wrap your head around that. Yeah. So I don't really I don't really understand. You know I guess that's why things like The Crown, which have been on forever and got you know are very expensive, keep racking things up. Because it's the crown. Yeah, yeah. But, I uh, wonder if it becomes a sort of numbers thing, and and, and then and then on the movie side, uh, because there'll be the, like these made for TV movies and these sort of categories. I don't really understand what they mean. It seems to me like you, you end up with a situation where a quote unquote film yeah. uh, can vie for an Emmy, while at the same time vie for an Academy Award. I'm yeah. like, well, how is that possible? That doesn't. Make I any don't know. Sense. It, uh, it makes no sense. But there it is, you know. So yeah. Well, let's uh, before we get into before we get into the DVDs and Blu-rays, uh, let's talk a little bit about trailers. A lot of new trailers dropping for movies coming up the end of the year. Uh, what do we think about uh, the new Matrix? You know, yeah, look, I mean, everybody told me yeah, you have to watch this trailer. Not only not only did this trailer not ex- excite me per se, it it seemed fairly sort of incomprehensible. It's like I really couldn't figure out what the hell was going on. Uh, and then, you know, you know, some characters there, some characters are not there. And then I'm asking myself, how come, how come all of these people got older in the Matrix? <laughs> it doesn't, I'm, I'm looking right at Neo's face there, and that's the face of a 55-year-old man. Last time I saw him, he was 32. And, and, and you know, it's the fucking Matrix. Yeah. He should look the same in the Matrix, anyway. <laughs> so, so, so you have all of that. So anyway, um, uh, look, I get it. I get it. Um, uh, uh, I noticed that it's only directed by uh, one, one Wachowski. One Wachowski. Wachowski. That's right. So I'm not sure what's going on there. You were just telling me about the Cohen brothers. That's one Cohen. Yeah, <laughs> that's one Cohen. So these 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 sibling teams are getting split up this year. Let's move to that. The tragedy of Macbeth. Joel yeah. Cohen going going solo, writing and directing Shakespeare. And it is an amazing trailer. It's black and white. It's Academy aspect ratio. Joel, Joel Cohen has gone full art house without Ethan. What's going on there? But it's Wait, gorgeous, and, man. And, and Denzel. Uh, oh. um, uh, and uh, finally appropriate. Oh, uh, you know, for his age and his and, yeah. and his and all that kind of stuff. Of you know, he he, he, he just so correct. Uh, Denzel oh. Denzel been there before though. What did he do? Did he do Othello? Was it Othello? much to do about? He did. He did much, much to do. do about, he did do a, a no. Othello was uh, uh, Lawrence Fishburne talking that, that about the Matrix. Lawrence, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, no, he was in Much to Do About Nothing. Yeah, yeah, with Keanu, and along actually. along with Keanu. That's right. They played. They played. They played brothers. Um, wow! It all comes full circle. <laughs> this is crazy. It's so but crazy. yeah. But yeah, much to do about uh, that. That looks fantastic. That looks absolutely fantastic. Oh, 
Looks amazing. Uh, Looks amazing. I cannot wait. I, I just, I didn't even know that thing was coming. It's uh, made for Apple by yeah. A24. A24 made it for Apple T, Apple Plus, And uh, man, I cannot wait. I just cannot wait. That's, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. Well, let's, let's dive into, let's dive right into things. Um, We're you know, start. I'm going to start. Let me, let me, I got a whole bunch of Kino here, Kino and some other stuff. And let me burn through this and just uh, let people know what fun things are out there on the radar real quickly. Uh, Sorted these all out into into appropriate groups. The first one is we got four more volumes of the um, Forbidden Fruit stuff from Kino. This is Kino and Something Weird doing exploitation films, resurrecting all all that fun old stuff. And this is all that Forbidden Fruit uh, exploitation stuff from the 60s. And uh, it's it's a riot. You got to love this stuff like I do to actually really, really mm-hmm. appreciate it. But uh, one of them is The Lash of the Penitents. Uh, this is, you know, uh, a strange romance among strange people. I mean, you know, this is this is really, really uh, very early exploitation stuff from 1936. But it gets into like this weird religious cult and it's, uh, it's very early S&M imagery. Um, so, you know, for people who love this kind of, uh, ephemera, you'll probably get a, get a, get a kick out of it. Uh, The Wages of Sin is a lot more, um, sort of memorable and noteworthy. This is from 1966. And, uh, this was one of those, um, this is one of those hygiene films that was meant to sort of scare people kind of, you know, all about, you know, don't get pregnant and birth control and all the rest of that. So uh, anything related to childbirth and pregnancy and venereal yeah. disease was always uh, hot. Um, Peekaboo is, uh, this is a Lillian Hunt thing. This is just uh, burlesque. This also includes uh, B-Girl Rhapsody. Um, this is, you know, just capturing a particular moment in time. Two films by Lillian Hunt, B-Girl Rhapsody and Peekaboo, from uh, the nineteen early 1950s, right, when this stuff was just kind of starting to get into the grindhouse drive-in yeah. thing. And then the last one, um, two films by Robert C. Dertano, somebody I'm not necessarily familiar with, also from the early 1950s. And it's Girl Gang and Pin Down Girl. Not Pin Up Girl, Pin Down Girl. Also known as Blonde Pickup uh, and Racket Girls. But, uh, you know, this is uh, this is kind of early crime exploitation stuff. It's like kind of a little, little down and dirty noir. So anyway, looks good. Something Weird Video is really, really fun. Uh, they have all kinds of great stuff. From Paramount. We have Hardball with Keanu and Diane Lane. Keanu, before he got uh, hairy. It's funny, look at him now. He's got the beard and the long hair, and he's been doing that John Wick thing for a while. You forget that he used to be real kind of clean-shaven. Um, so, I mean, that's a that's a fine movie. The uh, Crocodile Dundee trilogy. Oh, wow. Uh, all together on Blu-ray from uh, Paramount, and that's fine. It's got, you know, uh, not much by way of extras, but it's, you know, it's the... It's the three films, and they get worse as they go along. Uh, and then the uh, the Paramount uh, Presents line, we have uh, some films that totally I had forgotten about. Breakdown with Kurt Russell from 1997. Good, oh, wow. solid little kind of modern noir. Uh, that, was, that was a fun film at the time. And um, we then also have Bugsy Malone. Oh, wow. The, uh, late- with, the, with, the, with the kids. The kids, the musical, the late Alan Parker's directing debut. Uh, absolutely tremendous. Young Jodie Foster, young Scott Baio, and uh, it totally holds up, man. 1976. I'll tell you, that film is 
It's precious. There's never been anything else like it. Well, wait, and wait, then wait, we've all a high concept kind of thing there. To just uh, you, do you got to be able to pull it off. Could never, could never get that greenlit today. Could never yeah. get that greenlit today. Nobody would touch it. Uh, Nashville, Robert Altman's great Nashville, tremendous early kind of portmanteau film, uh, beautifully, beautifully rendered on Blu-ray here. It's really, really good. Um, it's got a commentary by Robert Altman on it that was recorded obviously quite a while back, but it's a great commentary and, uh, you know, just an amazing movie. All the multi threads that go into that tapestry of America and that tapestry oh, dude, of that place that and time. Cast, it's ridiculous. I think we lost Ned Beatty this year, last year. This year, or yeah. something like that, and uh, Shelley Duvall and black, and I mean, geez, and uh, you know, nineteen seventy-five, Henry Gibson is is just amazing in this, and I, I knew Henry's son, you know, Jimmy, right about this time, so I, I knew uh, a little bit about what was going on, and then uh, George Stevens' remarkable A Place in the Sun with Elizabeth uh, Taylor, Montgomery Clift, and Shelley Winters, based on an American tragedy uh by uh, theodore dreiser and i just love this movie i think shelly winters is the unsung star of this film monty clift is you know a tragic figure elizabeth taylor is appropriately beautiful and kind mm. of porcelain but man shelly winters just kills it in this movie mm. and you know she was she was supposed to be like an ingenue and she decided at a certain point in her career she was not going to be like her buddy marilyn she said, I'm going to go frumpy, I'm going to go unattractive, and I'm going to be a real actress because otherwise my career will last about 16 seconds. And Shelley Winters wound up being yeah. a frumpy actress who had a long career, and she won an Oscar. So, you yeah, know, there's yeah, that. Yeah. My, Montgomery Cliff, that, that movie was the first movie you did after the accident, you know. Um, yes, that's right. And, 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 and something about that comes through in that character that he's playing. And you can, cause you can see that scar on his, on, on, yeah. on his face there. And, um, uh, it, 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 he was a changed person after that, uh, completely, but it also changed as an actor. In some ways, I always, I thought he was a better actor, uh, after those years, but it affected him obviously personally. And, you know, well, it got inside his head in a, in a, in a, in a way that I think made him work harder. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we got a bunch from the MVD Rewind collection as well. They're made to look like old VHS tapes with the stickers all over them. Be kind, rewind, please rewind, all that mm. kind of stuff. Uh, the first one was Mortuary, which uh, yeah, it's perfectly fine um, horror film from the from the, the the period. There were a ton of them. It 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 ages in a rather silly kind of a way. But Linda Day George is is fine. Uh, you know, it's nice to see her again. Also have The Dark, a chilling tale of alien terror. <laughs> uh, this is one of my favorite stickers on staff pick. Remember they used to do that at the video oh, store yeah. staff pick. I wonder how many of those were, were Tarantino's staff pick. Um, yeah, this is, uh, you know, this is, this is fine. It's, it's, it's basically a ripoff of, uh, of alien and every other damn thing from that period, but it's okay. Uh, William Devane, you know, kind of brings a little bit of, uh, legitimacy to it. Richard Jekyll looks like the monster that he is in everything. Kathy Lee Crosby's in this. <laughs> Right. You know, Richard Jekyll, just another one of those, those creepy faces that showed up on yeah. everything, but it's, uh, you know, it, it's, it's fine. It, it's, it's not, not brilliant. What I love about this though, is it has this thing that you don't see on movies anymore in the billing block on the back it says a signet paperback. Remember, what, <laughs> oh, yeah, every, yeah. remember every movie used to have a book. That was great. <laughs> um, we also have uh, the house on sorority row, which was a, which was a good kind of schlocky slasher sorority horror film. Uh, you know, again, not great. Nothing really to distinguish it. Uh, Shelley Winters actually played in a few of those. 
And here's the one of these that I really want to make mention of, The Go-Go Boys, which is the inside story of Canon Films. This is not an old exploitation film. This is about them. This is the mm. uh, the documentary all about uh, Golan and Globus and uh, the whole drama, of, you know, the rise and fall of Canon Films and everything that they did. Really amazing. My friend um, Martin was uh, was originally supposed to be substantially interviewed for this and never, never, never was because Canon made uh, one of his films, The Ultimate Solution of Grace Quigley. But otherwise, they get into everything. Michael Dudikoff and Van Damme and um, Stallone and Charles Bronson and obviously Chuck Norris. They all show up to, to share their stories. And it's really a rock and roll and ride. It's a it's a terrific documentary. Uh, it's 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 a beautiful look at how you build a company and how you don't build a company yeah, at the same yeah. time. You know, there were a few uh, of those companies around and about, you know, operating at different levels. Yeah, uh, uh, Canon was, you know, uh, one notch below, say, Carolco. Was it, yeah. it was Carolco that did like term the first Terminator and all that, right? Yeah, uh, yep. uh, which of course was one notch below the actual studios, uh, and sort of, and you could see how each. At each notch, they aspired to be on the next notch and to work their way up. Uh, yep. and, and the sort of elements that they worked with was all the elements of talent, the actors, the, the writers, directors, producers, were always just one notch. You know, if you go one notch below Canon, you're at like PM Entertainment, you know, <laughs> the level. Yep. Uh, and, yep. uh, you know, so, yeah, I just saw and, and everybody just wanted to move up. And usually it's that moment when they tried to make the move to the next level that they destroyed themselves. It's very true. Canon, Canon kind of, they, they almost turned with Runaway Train and Grace Quigley and a few yeah. other things. They almost made that turn, but couldn't really do it. Uh, I got four here from the Warner Archive collection. One Crazy Summer with John Cusack, oh. Demi Moore, and Bobcat Goldthwaite. You know, the only reason to see this is Bobcat Goldthwaite, who is just so weird. Um, but, I'll, you know, it, I mean, otherwise, it's kind of a silly little artifact written and directed by savage Steve Holland back when he was still going by the moniker. Yeah. Um, an old, another Thin Man movie, Shadow of the Thin Man. They're slowly putting all these out on Blu-ray. I can't recommend them highly enough. Uh, William Powell and Myrna Loy are just uh, e- extraordinary in all of these things. And... Um, we also have In the Good Old Summertime, which I adore, with Judy Garland and Van Johnson, a remake of A Shop Around the Corner, the old uh, Ernst Lubitsch film, uh, was also redone as You've Got Mail with um, with uh, Tom Hanks and, mm. um, and uh, Meg Ryan. And uh, here's the thing about The Good Old Summertime, which I think is the best of all of them, frankly. You, you see a young uh, Liza in this. She's a baby at the very, very end of this thing, which is absolutely adorable. But <laughs> what, I, what I, I love this movie because uh, some friends of ours, and he's deceased now, um, but they, he had a 35 millimeter projector in their condo because he was an old movie buff. And I remember when I was probably 15, 14, 15, you know, we were over there for dinner and he said, hey, I'm going to show you one of my prints. And we sit down and the freaking projector boots up and the the screen drops right in front of their big glass window. And I watched in the good old summertime on in, on this giant screen in their <laughs> living room on 35. And it was amazing. It was wonderful. He had an actual print of this movie. <laughs> oh, my God. Such a, such a special thing. And then lastly, Prince of the City, dude. Oh, Sidney wow. Lumet, Prince of the City, based on the Bob Daly book. Um, this thing holds up, man. I I used to think this was like a flawed Sidney Lumet film, but it really holds up. It's it's a this is a, just a freaking powerful movie. Treat Williams has never been better. Um, 
it's just a really great, tough cop film. And I think still one of Sidney Lumet's best. Well, I, don't, I, I never saw why people never th- thought of it in the category with, with like, uh, what was the, the uh, Serpico? Uh, there were yeah. there, there were several of them that came out uh, during that period, you know. Uh, Fort Apache, uh, the Bronx. Fort Apache, the Bronx. Maybe even yeah. the, the, those Popeye Doyle films, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, 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 so yeah, to me, it always lived right in the in, in the pocket with that, you know. Uh, I mean, Treat Williams is no Al Pacino, but nevertheless, you know, you got yeah. Jerry or- Orbach and Richard Fontenoy and all this kind of stuff. I think, yeah, no, fantastic movie. Now, Tim, you, you've got a little script that draws substantially on Tremors, uh, at least kind of tips its hat to it. I got Tremors yeah. 2, 3, and 4 here. What, what's uh, up with that? What, what, why 2, 3, I, and 4? What's going I on? I know. There? Well, they're clearly really bad at killing these things because they keep coming back. So, <laughs> but, but, yeah. Why, why would the first Tremors not be a part of, because it's the one to, you know. Uh, so why is the first Tremors not a part of it? They're all universal, right? The first Tremors was a universal. They're all, they're all universal. They're all universal. And it's just utterly weird. So here's the thing. They keep losing people in these movies. They keep losing <laughs> cast members who say, yeah, I don't want anything to do with that anymore. So Fred Ward is holding the, holding the thing down in, in Tremors 2. It's a Fred yeah. Ward movie, right? Yeah. And then by the end, after Tremors 2, Fred Ward's like, I'm out. I'm out. Dude. I'm, I'm tapping out. No more of these for me. And then it was like Michael Gross said, well, I guess it falls to me. I'm the bench. So Michael <laughs> Gross steps up and Tremors 3 and 4 star headline Michael Gross, which is really kind of weird that Michael Gross headlined a couple of. But anyway, there it is. It's, uh, you know, I mean, it's the same stuff through and through. Uh, it is yeah, what it is. But apparently they're not nearly as good as killing those worms. Yeah, uh, terrible. They should have been in the first film. First film, nineteen ninety, dude. That's a long that that, that uh, franchise. I, I think it was. I think that franchise even had a television spinoff, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, it's uh, utterly crazy, completely crazy. So here, let me blow through these uh, these these kinos right here, and then we'll move on to some new stuff. Um, Kino's got a couple of box sets that I highly recommend. Western Classics Two, not as strong as the first one, but it's got three good solid programmers in it. Um, Gun for a Coward, Pillars of the Sky, and The Redhead from Wyoming. I would Ooh. highly recommend The Redhead from Wyoming because that redhead is Maureen O'Hara. Mm. And I cannot get enough of Maureen O'Hara. She's amazing. It's a good film. It's a great role for her. Carol Lombard shows up in the Carol Lombard Collection 2, which is three more great Carol Lombard movies. The Princess Comes Across, Love Before Breakfast, and Hands Across the Table. Um, all of them absolutely terrific. If there's... Um, if there's a really, really great one in here, I think it's probably hands across the table. That's one of the two that she does with Fred McMurray. She's also with Fred McMurray and the princess uh, comes across, but um, really hands across the table is just a, an absolutely lovely film. She's one of the all time great movie beauties of that wonderful early period. Uh, and then a lot of uh, special cr- uh, uh, keynote titles here. Uh, they come with the slip cover. They kind of set them aside. The ones they want to call attention to. And that mm. includes, Spaceballs, which <laughs> is starting to look a little underrated because, um, you know, compared to some of the actual Star Wars films, I think it's uh, Spaceballs understands the saga better. Um, a new Blu-ray remaster with a uh, great Tim Lucas audio commentary uh, and tons of uh, featurettes and documentaries of the good, the bad and the ugly, which is, you know, mm. you want you want to remember this this Clint. Not the Clinton who's 91 years old playing a character that was written to be 38 oh. years old in uh, uh, Cry Macho. Cry Macho. Yeah. Mm. 
Um, we just mentioned Runaway Train. That is also out uh, from from Kino. That is one of those canon films that we just mentioned that was the turn to try to do something more legit. It is still absolutely first rate. Great yeah. audio commentary with Eric Roberts and uh, film historians David Del Valle and C. Courtney Joyner. Um, that is, um, if I'm not mistaken, Runaway Train. Andre Kaczorowski. is Danny Trejo's first film out of prison. Really? It is, uh, he's Danny, Danny Trejo's in the film. Uh, and it, it, it's literally his first film out of prison. Can you imagine working with Kaczorowski? Your first job as an actor, and he, he was hired uh, to teach uh, to, uh, fighting because uh, it's a yeah. whole thing to do with boxing. That's what yeah. he was hired to teach. And 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 Andre, you know, being the realist that he was, was like, "Hey, why don't we just get that guy?" <laughs> that, that guy can do it. Can you, can you imagine? Can you imagine? There's a conversation. I'm going to tell you right now. There's a conversation he's having with with some of his former cellmates. It's like, oh, hey, man, I just got out. I'm, I just got a job. Did you? What'd you get? Yeah, I got a job, you know, doing doing dishes at this little taco joint. You know, it's like, it, I mean, you know, I'm out of prison. It's my first job out of prison. It's all right. It's all right. Well, what, what, what was your first job out of prison? Oh, I was uh, teaching boxing on uh, an Andre Konchalovsky movie for Canon Films. It was pretty, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Then, then he hired me to act in. I got a sad card. Now I own a taco stand. <laughs> now, <laughs> now, I, got, now I own your taco stand. And I've got 85 oh, film critics and movie, movies in which I'm actually the star. It's just, the arc of things is just you, you just can't you just know. don't know you I know, know. I know. Uh, bring me the head of Alfredo Garcia great oh. role for uh, Warren Oates in this uh, classic Sam Peckinpah film uh, you know it's it, I mean it, it's it's an acquired taste obviously anything Peckinpah is but uh, I still think this is an absolutely terrific film The Hot Spot uh, the the underrated Dennis Hopper, Don Johnson film. Everybody was expecting Dennis Hopper to become this like crazy auteur. And then he settled in after Easy Rider and started doing more conventional films. But mm-hmm. I don't think this is a bad movie at all. I think it's, uh, you know, this is 1990. You and I had just about just met around that time. Yeah, I actually think I actually think this movie ages pretty well, to be honest. Virginia Madsen, Jennifer Connelly, Charles mm-hmm. Martin Smith. It's a really good cast. Oh, it lives in that whole spot. Uh, Liz, 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 and uh, Kettle Hot Tin Roof. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It lives right in that sort of Tennessee Williams sort of spot, only a little bit more. I love it. Uh, Joe Don Baker and Jim Kelly and Golden Needles. Did you ever see Golden Needles? I see. I don't know. Let me think about that one for a second. This is this is a 1974 film uh, directed by Robert Klaus, right? Coming out of coming out of uh, Enter the Dragon. So it's it's uh, it, it was Fred Weintraub, Paul Heller film. I, I, I should have I should have called Zach to talk about talk to him about this. So it's 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 Weintraub, Heller. It's Jim Kelly. It's Robert Klaus. It's like the gang back together minus Bruce Lee. Well, that's, I and, not know this but, film. I'm looking at it now. But with Joe Don, but with Joe Don Baker, it's not bad, man. It's not you know it's not uh, it's not Enter the Dragon or anything like that. But it's it's pretty great. It's um. It, it's kind of enter, enter the drag, dragony, except by way of noir. So it's got kind of a, it's sort of like a, like a seventies quasi kung fu semi black exploitation version of the Maltese Falcon. Well, you got and great all names about this. in there, dude. You got Burgess Meredith. I, dude, yeah. this, thing is, this thing is, this thing is Sonny Martin. This thing is packed up. It's solid. It's a it's a really solid little thing. It's all about this, you know, this this uh, legendary ancient Chinese statue, and it's uh, you know, it has a it, again. It's like a it's a it's kind of a a Maltese Falcon vibe. But uh, Kelly is is terrific, and and Joe Don Baker is you know doing his thing. 
Um, also got nope. Arabesque by Stanley Donnan, Gregory Peck, and Sophia Loren. All I need to tell you is this is just great 60s style. This is just great mid-60s groove with Stanley Donnan doing his thing. It's not quite a uh, charade, but it's it's Gregory Peck and Sophia Loren kind of doing a, a charade type thing. Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid, Carl oh, Reiner, wow. late Carl Reiner directing Steve Martin in this fantastic homage to, to noir and old movies. Really, really fun what this movie does. Nothing else has done it uh, quite like this. 1982, very fun film, very clever film. Young, young, Vincent, young Rachel Ward, man. Oh, my God, she was so beautiful. Oh, gosh, Rachel Ward. Don't even get me started. Uh, Vincent Price in The Last Man on Earth, the, uh, the based on the same book that uh, the Richard Matheson book, I Am Legend, that I Am Legend was based on with Will Smith, that uh, Omega Man was based on with Charlton Heston. Uh, but the only one of those that's really mm. faithful to the book is The Last Man on Earth. And Vincent Price is absolutely mm. terrific in it. Beautifully shot. Uh, it's a it's a really a, a, a rock solid film directed by Sidney Salkow, who I know nothing about otherwise. But Price we're, is a, a, a rare sort of straight dramatic performance from Vincent without anything to sort True. of horror, horror yeah. sort of, you know, machinations. And then we also have Vincent Price in Master of the World, based on the, uh, the Jules Verne. This is with Charles Bronson. This is from 1961, a younger Vincent Price. Um, two terrific audio commentaries on here, one by the, uh, the film historians, Tom Weaver and, Weaver and Vincent Price's biographer, Lucy Chase Williams, and then one by the, uh, one of the actors, David Frankham. And, uh, you know, this is, uh, it, it's, it's fun. It's a little exploitation-y, but it's, it's fun. Uh, then we've got Charles Bronson again in the Valdez Horses, kind of a kind of a straightforward programmer, but very nicely transferred. Nineteen seventy three, uh, good audio commentary on here by film historian uh, Paul Talbot, who wrote uh, uh, significantly about Charles Bronson. And yeah. uh, Stranger on the Run, a great Don Siegel western with Henry Fonda and uh, Ann Baxter. Um, funny, I was just watching Dirty Harry the other day. Uh, you know, I, I, I was telling you this. I'm, I've been watching all this crap on on uh, on Criterion, their New York stuff. You know, I was watching Superfly at one point, and I, yeah. Superfly got me into a vibe. And I went over to uh, HBO Max, and they've got all these Clint Eastwood movies, like a ton of Eastwood movies. They're paying tribute to Clint with Cry Macho. So I <laughs> just went, I just went right to Dirty Harry, and I'm like, I'm gonna watch me some Don Siegel and some some Clint. And it was pretty great. Uh, Don Siegel, just a really great. I mean, that's where Clint learned all of his oh, yeah. craft from. Oh, yeah. He learned it all from from Leone and from Don Siegel. Those are the guys who taught him what to do. Uh, Dan Durier, Sal Minio, uh, rounding out the cast. Really a pretty terrific kind of a late Western there. And then Coogan's Bluff with Clint. One of his yep. all-time uh, great kind of... Um, Again, Don Siegel directing, you know, this is kind of a pseudo Western, kind of a quasi cop film and a Western in one, but uh, very, very good. Susan Clark, uh, Tisha Sterling, Betty Field, Lee J. Cobb rounding out the cast. And then uh, just a few here at the very, very end. Uh, we have got some Code Red titles that we get from Kino. Code Red does a lot of culty stuff. And some of this you may recognize, some you may not. One of them is uh, Percy, the story of a very successful transplant. Uh, Percy, is, I'll leave it to you to sort of um, use your imagination as to what gets transplanted, but we'll just say it's a member. That's what gets <laughs> transplanted. Uh, really kind of a scandalous film in 1971 and probably is still scandalous, but, you know, it, it, uh, it was a thing. J.C., did you ever see J.C.? 
I don't think so. JC is like this crazy kind of biker Manson-y thing from 1971. It's like the, it's a total counterculture, uh, uh, you know, uh, anti-hero rebel movie. Uh, Slim Pickens is maybe the the most significant person in it, but um, it, it really is kind of creepy in the wake of uh, of Manson and all that. You know, like here's the here's the uh, here are the taglines on it: JC preached love, lived violence, <laughs> and then down here, then down here, you're gonna get a crack up out of this. JC and his disciples were a gang of broads. Bikes and blacks. <laughs> they had to look I don't. Like, what, what, I gotta, what I gotta call the brothers out? What, what, what I gotta do? What, like, oh like, like, who comes up with that stuff? But it's so 1971. Yeah, it's so 1971. And then uh, just a few more here. The French Conspiracy by Yves Boisset, which is sort of a, it's fine. This is a 1972 French uh, cop thing with uh, Jean-Louis Trintignant and Michel Piccoli, Gene Seberg. Uh, good, good, solid cast. Uh, not, not, not amazing. Like there are better, better films in the genre, but it's, 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 it's not a bad one. Death Ring is kind of a sort of a cheesy 1992 uh, action film, straight to video type deal with uh, you know a lot of a lot oh, of Bill, Bill, yeah, I remember the movie. Billy Mike Norris, Nor- Billy Norris, Drago, right? Mike yeah. Norris, yeah, you know, yeah, it is whatever. I mean, it's it's a it's from its era of its era, and then here's the one I think is really terrific: Puffin Stuff, the Puffin Stuff movie, uh, based on the TV show with Martha Ray and Mama Cass, Jack Wild, of course, Billy Hayes. Uh, uh, if you like the show, this thing is even more drug addled. It's like people just dropped acid and and mushrooms and went to see this movie and lost their minds. <laughs> uh, they did. It's what else you, what do you want? And then the last two here, um, before we move on, the Vestron video collector series gives us uh sundown, the vampire in retreat with David Carradine and the original director's cut of Francis Ford Coppola's dementia, Thir- dementia 13, which mm. is, is, is worth uh, absolutely having uh, dementia. 13 has been in so many crappy straight to video uh, releases that it's nice to have something that's clean on Blu-ray. It's the director's cut. It's official. Don't get anything else. Take all of your public domain Dementia 13 DVDs and and get rid of them. The only one you want is the uh, Vestron Video Collector's Edition from Lionsgate. Uh, Dementia 13 director's cut, new, and it is absolutely terrific. All right, Tim, where do we go now? Well, I, I popped over some new stuff and, took a, and was taking a look at that uh, as you were going through. I see that the Forever Purge uh, is in the stacks there. Uh, the Purge, uh, uh, yeah, what are there now? Like, like about, about four of those? Uh, films, the, the Purge, it I think is was something like that now. Yeah. Uh, I, the Purge Survival, the Forever Purge, pur- the Purge Anarchy, the Purge Election Year. Look, um, that first Purge back in, in, in 2012, interesting notion there uh, at the center of all of that. I didn't like it, but, but, I, but, but I admitted that there was an interesting notion there that I didn't think they got right. I certainly didn't think that you could get another four or five movies out of it. Uh, which they did here, right, right on through, uh, you know, this one, uh, the Forever Purge, which I think gives the way in the title. At least they give their yeah. their, their intention away in the title. We're gonna do it's this stupid. forever, and yeah. uh, and 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 I'm kind of I'm, I'm kind of I was kind of done with it after the first one. 
yeah. but you know, um, these sort of genre films uh, uh, tend to sort of eke out a life of their own because you'll notice that uh, all of the elements of the films uh, are reduced in stature as the number of films go on. So we get down to ones that star uh, people I've never heard of, directed by people I've never heard of, <laughs> uh, and you know, and you know, based on this, that, or the other thing. So the Forever Purge is there. Um, I'm not sure that I needed Cruella. No, uh, um, I didn't either. Know, I just, I'm not sure why I need this uh, story uh, at all. I mean, as uh, much as I, I'm not, I, I wasn't even sure I needed that whole thing with uh, Angelina Jolie. It was okay. Um, um, uh, you know, the, the, or, the so, origin stories, the, the Disney villain origin stories are kind of getting on my nerves now. Yeah, they, they, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, uh, despite the fact, you know, good cast, Emma Thompson, Emma Stone. Look. The, the two Emmas are terrific in this. They really are. I think the supporting cast is terrific. I think it's beautifully made. I mean, it really is just uh, absolutely fantastic directing work by Craig Gillespie. He does a fan- really beautiful job. He's a, he's a big cheese now. But, I, you know, uh, I'm not even that big a fan of uh, 101 Dalmatians, to be honest. Not the, yeah. not the animated, not the live action with Glenn Close. I don't know that I needed this. I, it just, it's too much Cruella. She's bad. She wants a coat of dogs. Yeah. Switch that entire narrative up for this thing. Now she's yeah. like a dog lover. It's like weird. Oh yeah, they had to, well, they had to switch the narrative because it was, it was that was that was always kind of sick uh, in yeah. the first place. But apparently, parents back in the day didn't really give a damn about their children's <laughs> mental mental health. So I don't know that I needed Cruella, but there it is. I imagine they packed all kinds of goodies on that on that. Uh, what is that? A Blu-ray. Well, it, they only sent us the Blu-ray. They did not send us the 4K. Disney's being uh, cheap with the 4Ks uh, lately. But yeah, I mean, there's their featurettes, and that's about it. It's just it's EPK stuff. Uh, some deleted scenes, nothing really significant. We also have Black Widow. Let's talk about mm-hmm. Black Widow for a second. Also sent to us on uh, Blu-ray with a nice red case, but no no 4K. So we can't really address that. But um, did we need a Black Widow? Well, you know, you know, again, I, I had a problem with this coming right out out, out of the box. Because here we go into the backstory again. Uh, yeah. For one thing, you know, uh, to the extent that Black Widow needs a backstory, I think we all kind of knew it. Uh, they, yeah. the, the, the ad, the bells and whistles and details that they added here. No, I definitely didn't need that. The little sister, the fake family, uh, you know, Rachel Weiss and all this kind of stuff. Now, what do I like about this Black Widow, though, since, I'm, since it's easy to kick it? Florence Pete. It's what I like about it. Yeah, she's great. Uh, they they yeah. gave us that young Florence Pugh, and she's, you know, she's a black widow's uh, little, well, not her little sister, but in the sort of, kind of basically family. a sister, like, yeah, a sister like yeah. figure in this family uh, that's going on. And, and she's actually quite, quite delightful in this movie. The, the, you cannot muster the sort of drama that one must muster in a film like this because there are a few things that, that we know, even as we were watching this film. For one thing, we know that the black widow, uh, is going to be just fine at, at the end of this movie. She's, she's going to make it. <laughs> so they keep trying to build these moments of, uh, of tension. What's going to happen to them? Is Ray yeah. Winstone going to kill her? Well, no, he's not going to yeah. kill her. Hey, she's got like five more moves to make. So no, he's not going to kill her. <laughs> <laughs> she's going to be fine. And, and for that matter, those of us who have been paying attention know exactly when she buys it. Um, yeah. uh, and it ain't in this movie. So uh, ex- uh, uh, trying to create tension with something with, that you cannot create tension with makes no sense 
And here's the uh, other so, thing, so, too. So ultimately, to answer your question, no, I didn't really need it. But I'm really happy about Florence. I'm really happy about I agree. Florence steals the movie. She has some great moments. She's a terrific actress. I can't wait to see what else she does. But here's the, here's the point where that movie, I, I knew I wasn't really going to like Black Widow. David Harbour's kind of weird, cheesy, fat, has-been Russian version of a Captain um, America didn't really work for me as a, as a joke. And and there's a there's a there's a point in there where they make it very obvious. Hey, you know what movie we're winking at with this? You know what our inspiration is? You know what movie is our touchstone? It's Moonraker, man. And you go, really? Moonraker? Like, <laughs> I mean, not not like the spy who loved me or Moonraker? Really? Yeah, yeah that's yeah. that's what you're going with. They went with Moonraker. If you got to go to Sean Connery movies, you don't go to the look. I like Moonraker as it happens, but it was not a big hit. No. <laughs> Moonraker, Sean Connery film, folks. Uh, for, for most of you who have no idea. Roger Moore. What Roger Moore. I'm sorry. Roger, Roger Moore. Yeah, Roger, Roger Moore, Moore yeah. movie. Uh, for most of you who have no idea. But, you know, yeah. that's that's not that's not the film. Uh, got got four uh, five really uh, kind of all sort of mid-level drama actioners here they've all got good people in them they're all a little bit just uh, just a beat off from where they probably should be but uh, i'll go through them uh hunter hunter with um camille sullivan devon sawa hummer summer h howell and and nick Stahl. this is uh yeah. this is a, a wilderness actioner um it's not bad it's fine you know it's a, it's a bit of a programmer um Decent little script, but you know it's it's more a, more kind of a rental uh, than than a, than a buy thing. Uh, flashback has a has an okay cast. You, you'll you won't recognize any of these people by name, but you'll probably recognize a few of the faces. Uh, flashback is uh, centered around like high school students, right, and uh, traumatic visions and drugs. And what does this mean about your psyche? And, you know, it gets onto the, becomes kind of a personal thrillery journey. Uh, fire is exactly what it suggests. It's like, it's like, uh, taking flat, uh, um, what's the Ron Howard thing? Uh, backdraft. Oh, backdraft. It's like, yeah. back, it's like backdraft in the forest. That's all it is. Uh, and it's really well done. You know, oh, it's, yeah. uh, well. it, yeah, it's, it's fine. I mean, it was made, this was made for Russian television. So, uh, but it's, it's very, very, um, it's, it's solid, you know, it's, it's good. It, never mind the fact that it's, it's, it's Russian. You'll, it's, it's, it's well done in a kind of a Hollywood slick way. Uh, Chaos Walking with Daisy Ridley and Tom Holland. Anything with Daisy Ridley and Tom Holland is worth watching. They're both terrific actors. Really, really good. Uh, and, um, you know, the movie is, uh, okay. It's, it, it should be better. Um, also has some tremendous supporting performances in it by by people who deserve to be kind of uh, higher billing. Uh, Damien Bashir, Mads Mikkelsen, um, uh, David Oyelowo, Nick Jonas. I mean, you kind of go, you know, Cynthia Erivo. You're like, holy cow, that's like an Oscar caliber cast. Those are amazing people. They're all Oscar nominees. Well, yeah, it's it, but it's, you know, it. It's it's a fantasy, and uh, everybody kind of comes in for a minute or two, and, and rounds out this this you know well intentioned but sort of uh, um, not very well thought out youth fantasy. But it, you know what? It's it's fine. I mean, you know, the, the actors alone are worth taking a look. No. Um, and then Stephen Dorff does in 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 embattled goes uh, goes full oh. kind of you know um, that, that MMA that MMA son thing. thing. Yeah. yeah, 
Yeah, it's not bad. Stephen Dorff started, by the way, in that uh, that South African uh, story the, the, about where he's a, where he's oh, a yeah. boxer, the boxing John Abelson yeah. thing, right? Yeah. And so it kind of comes full circle. Uh, what was that called? Not the power of one, something like that. Yeah. And so it kind of comes full circle. He's been here before, but now he's older and more grizzled, and you know it's more MMA, and 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 uh, it's it's a good part for him. Stephen Dorff, really good actor, who's never never quite exploded into the mainstream like he probably should have. Um, shall we do th- do some some of the four K? Um, would, let's, uh, I, I see. Is there anything I else here? The, the Shawshank Redemption. What is that? Is that the film? Or because there's so many, there are all this Shawshank Redemption TV things. No, so, this so, is so it. That? This is our original Shawshank. This is oh, uh, Tim Robbins and Morgan Freeman. I know Tim Robbins and Morgan Freeman in a 4K Ultra HD of the movie that continues to be the highest rated film on uh, Rotten Tomatoes, um, which to this day is kind of amazing. But everyone loves this movie. Yeah. Everybody loves this movie. It just uh, it fired on all silver cylinders. Frank Darabont will never make a better movie. He just won't. Uh, based on the Stephen King short story. I mean, what can you say about this? Everyone loves this movie. It looks gorgeous on 4K. It's absolutely terrific. It comes with the Movies Anywhere code. So you can load this thing up. You can have the disc. You can have it on all of your digital lockers. It's fantastic. Uh, I don't know why they didn't come out with this sooner on 4K. It really, really just all the grays and blues and that yeah. whole color palette just look absolutely terrific. Um, Clockwork Orange, dude. 50th anniversary. Really? Can we say that? Can we oh. say that? I guess we just did. 50th anniversary of Clockwork Orange. Malcolm McDowell's been going around doing uh, interviews and and saying, I have not watched this movie in years and I don't ever want to watch it again. I've seen it enough. It's really haunting. Uh, but you know what? Uh, it It's still awesome. I mean, yeah. also Movies Anywhere Code, it totally holds up. Uh, great features on here. Nick Redman, the late Nick Redman and Malcolm McDowell in audio commentary. Um bunch of featurettes but it's look they're still they're slowly getting all the kubrick films out on on 4k and wow i just this movie still just rips me to pieces it's so timely it's so freaking timely it kills me I yeah mean, kubrick man uh kubrick yeah uh, uh, jesus uh kubrick's been gone what now 20 years or something like that 20 years yeah easily uh, yeah that's just that's just absolutely nuts to me in the in the heights, four K in the heights. What's what? What was your feeling on in the heights? Because Lynn caught. We we've talked a little bit about this, but you you tell me. Yeah, he, he got a, a bunch of a bunch of heat for this. I think. Like, Look, I reviewed that movie. I reviewed it on Film Week. I enjoyed that movie. Uh, it, you know, it's an exuberant movie. It's a celebration of the Latinx culture. Um, um, uh, it has some interesting storytelling techniques to it. It's a bit of a magical realism thing going on in that movie. So, so it's doing things on in cinema that, that couldn't be done uh, on stage, an adaptation of the stage play. Right? Obviously, the sort of influences of the film are sort of right there. You can, I, I've always said that you can tell that Lin Manuel was a, a child of the uh, of that Rent era. Uh, that when he was fourteen, fifteen, sixteen years old, he was going to see Rent. And all yeah. of that shows up. So true. And <laughs> in, 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 in all of these uh, in, in, in all these adaptations of his, which is perfectly fine. That's OK, too. You know, we all we all get built from something. The heat that he took about the casting of the film, this, that and the other thing. <clears throat> I don't know. It's, it all seemed to me to be a little bit Johnny come lately, a little bit after the fact. Um, yeah. uh, um, um, you know, I mean, the, 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 that film got made almost two years ago. 
yeah. and, and and everybody knew who was in it and who was playing Hut and all this kind of stuff. So uh, I don't know. It just seemed seemed to me to be a, to, to to be a little bit after the fact. That said, uh, it, you know, for the future, I guess uh, you know we'll all just be a little bit more astute about how we're doing these things. Um, and, uh, and, and, and certainly we're not in any kind of position anymore where the suggestion is, I, you know, I can't find anybody to play this role. Well, you can, um, uh, there's somebody to play this role, uh, who's, you know, who, who's, I'm always making fun of, um, oh, George Shakiris and, um, in, yeah. in, in, <laughs> in, in uh, West Side Story in West Side. Yeah. The Greek guy playing the Puerto Rican yeah. guy. There. <laughs> we, 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 we don't really need, we don't need to do that anymore. Um, 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 uh, that said, you know, I just, I think that was just all, you know, it, this is a good movie. Uh, and, and it felt good. And, uh, unless you really had some sort of a very specific dog in that fight, most folks wouldn't even know what folks were talking about. Well, here's the one where I'm going to do my mea culpa again, Zack Snyder's justice league. So I am, uh, I am forever immortalized on the internet from my sucker punch rant, which I did on uh, <laughs> stupid for movies, which I hosted with Mark way back when and uh i had to see sucker punch and i lost my mind on camera and i ranted about Zack snyder and how i hated him and i hated all of his movies <laughs> and here flash forward to his his corrective uh cut of justice league all four hours of it which is uh like 70 percent new material there's only like 40 minutes in this thing that is common with the joss whedon cut of the film and uh, I have gone back and compared those two films time and time again. Tim, if I were teaching a class, mm. uh, I would show both of those cuts. I would spend an entire semester just on those two movies. People would hate kids would hate me, but I would no. spend an entire class showing them this is why you can't ever say what's on the page is what's going to wind up on the screen. Because there was a script that turned into two completely different movies, so different they're, they, they, they they share almost nothing in common. I mean, it's really extraordinary. And uh, I got I got to say, as much as I hate that Joss Whedon film, and I truly hate it, I yeah. think the I think even though it is is deeply flawed, Zack Snyder's cut of Justice League is kind of a, a small masterpiece. It is. It's very much about a different subject matter. The, the specific events that happened notwithstanding, he managed to, to make a movie that was fundamentally about a different subject. And, 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 and it gives weight to different characters. I don't want to mess it up for anybody, but the way the original movie, the, or I, I guess we'll call it the original movie, is, is constructed and weighted what characters are doing what and why they're doing the things that they're doing and what it all means. Uh, none of that is true in the Zack Snyder cut. True. Different char characters are weighted in different ways, and the reason for why they're doing the things that they're doing are different reasons and, and, and more salient reasons, uh, and, and thus making it all matter in a completely different way. I'm going to straight up say restore the Snyderverse. I, I don't know that Warner ever will eat the humble pie necessary to let him complete this saga because there are two, technically two more films to complete mm. this story arc. Uh, we'll probably never see them. It's really sad. But um, boy, I'll tell you, it, it, here's, what I, here's what I find impressive because especially when you watch Man of Steel, which I don't think is great, and, and then Batman versus Superman, which I, I, I thought was pretty poor, uh, except watching his extended cut of that, which is like an extra half hour or whatever in it. 
it, it's a better film. It is a better film. But there's something really interesting that goes on, which is that Superman as a character is psychoanalyzed to a significant degree. And here's this guy who, who you know, has all of these issues. He's an alien, but he's on Earth. Who is he? The powers of a god. How do you use them? There are all kinds of really interesting ethical dilemmas that go on with that because he didn't ask to be a superhero. And by the time you get into Justice League, where he is a figure of the past, right? He's, he's, he's dead from the end of Superman versus Batman. That's a spoiler. If you don't know that, you're, you've been living in a cave. And, um, <laughs> The the um, but the 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 story arc of people who didn't ask to be heroes is still there. And it is most personified in Cyborg, Ray Fisher's character, which was stripped in the Whedon cut. Whedon just turned Cyborg into a guy who was pissed off. He was he was he was just pissed off all the time. And, and, and black guy. Angry black guy, which he hated. That's why Ray Fisher went ballistic after that. He's like, you hired me for this and then you cut my part to, the, to ribbons. All of the backstory is restored. His relationship with his mom, his relationship with his dad, his athletic career. You see him smile. And it's done in this surreal way, in this really kind of avant-garde, uh, uh, you know, vision-like way that is absolutely poetic. And I, I love that that's restored. I love that Flash's story is restored. I, I have not been a fan of Ezra Miller as the Flash. Not in any way. I thought that's weird casting. Like, why don't you go and get, get my boy from television? Yeah, Grant, and, Grant um, Gustin, yeah. Get, go get Grant Gustin. Bring him along. Yeah. Now I understand where they were going, what they were going for, because there's that whole sequence, right? Where with the, with he's getting the job and then he looks out and, you know, it, 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 and it, it and, and the accident and I won't, I won't give anything away, but it, it, it changes it. It changes his character. It changes his character completely. He is now someone who really is only comfortable at hyperspeed. He's disconnected from life at normal speed, but at super speed, everything makes sense to him. It's normal. I mean, it's, it, there's a lot of poetry in, the, in that film, and it doesn't all hang together, but boy, it's ambitious. And I apologize to Zack Snyder for my rant. I, I don't. I still don't like Sucker Punch. I still think it's <laughs> no, movie, no but, reason. No reason to like no. Sucker Punch. Third but I'll tell you. for that man. Uh, yeah, no, no, but I agree with you completely. I, and, um, yeah, particularly about, uh, you know, Ray's, because uh, Ray took a whole bunch of folks to task, uh, not just, yeah. uh, Wheaton, uh, but uh, executives. I mean, that's, a, it's a whole thing. I guess we talk about it. What do we talk about? Do we talk about, it? we talk about it someplace. Um, uh, yeah. and, uh, and, uh, we so, talk about so it a lot on our Godcast, so, on the Godcast. Oh, that's what it is. That's what it is. Yeah. 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 yeah the whole black Superman thing. Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, a lot going on there, and it's a very, very different movie. So if you've seen the first one, you have to see this one just to understand what the intention was in the first place, and you know we'll have to see whether or not any of the rest of it works out. Uh, All right, we 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 got a couple of Universal titles here, uh, also with movies anywhere uh, on them, and uh, they are Boss Baby Family Business and F Nine: The Fast Saga. Mm. Uh, hopefully, wrapping out these two franchises forever. I was just at Universal Studios with my daughter, her first time at Universal Studios, and um, uh, and, and actually, uh, Boss Baby's DreamWorks. Uh, it's not you know, normal yeah. universal, but it is, but nonetheless, there was, we were, we were subjected to a lot of boss baby and, uh, and F nine and, and, you know, fast and furious there when we were there. Uh, so Tim, uh, did we need another boss baby movie? No, thank you. Done. <laughs> we, 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 on. We, we didn't need that fast nine either, brother. <laughs> okay. We're done. 
Yeah, I remember covering that first fast, and I, and, and 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 I covered that first Fast and the Furious movie somewhat, somewhat uh, reluctantly and uh, kind of pissy because I didn't want to go see that movie, and I saw it and I liked it, and 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 I remember uh, and I wrote about it and I talked about it and uh, you know in, in the whole sort of thing I was like, well, you know that's great, but if you had asked me then, and that's twenty years ago, I think we're talking. Uh, uh, if they're going to be still making these movies 20 years hence, I would have said, why the hell would that happen? (laughs) (laughs) That doesn't make any sense. Why would they still be making these movies 20 years? But here we are. They're still making those movies. On the other hand, I think on the, on, on the, these four Ks, we've we've got we've got those four original Star Trek movies, right? Um, yep. uh, in, in in a uh, collection, the the original. Yes, Star we Trek do. Collection. That's the end of our four K coverage. So I'm just going to say I love Star Trek: The Motion Picture. I saw it three times on opening mm-hmm. day. Uh, I saw it probably 27 times in initial release. I still defend it. Wrath of Khan. I know Mark Kaiser loves it. It's his favorite one. Everyone else loves it. I hate it. Uh, Search for Spock. Not a fan. Star Trek Four, the with the whales and oh, uh, Ford's I, home, yeah. I tr- truly, truly despise it. So there are three of these films that I just hate, but Star Trek: The Motion Picture is great. So I'm going to stick with that. Your thoughts? I, lo- I love all those movies. Sorry, I'm that guy. <laughs> uh, yeah, first of all, the first film, the Robert Wise film, uh, which is in people at the time. I remember that was what was that seventy nine or something like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I was graduated from from high school, you know, and obviously I'd been a big fan of it. And everybody was all pissy about that movie. There was not enough action. Nothing happened and all this kind of stuff. I'm like, it's a Robert Wise film. The Day the Earth Stood Still. It's a thinking person's a Star Trek film. Plus, Thank you. you. There are all kinds of amazing big ideas uh, in, in these films. So it just sort of blew me away, you know. Uh, so so I, I have to I have to go. It's very 2001-ish in a lot ish, of respects. Yeah. And, that's, and that's Roddenberry, too. But here's the thing. there. So I was such a geek at the time that with, with uh, two of my friends, we saw it so many times that we basically had memorized the entire movie. <laughs> And and by the by the like the twentieth time that we were seeing it, we were sitting there and we were trying to outdo each other. Such nerds by like literally reciting the lines while the movie's playing because we're sitting. You know, by then it had played out. We're sitting in the theater at, at, at you know the Topanga Plaza theater, and the print is all scratchy because this thing's been playing for months now. This is you know it like opened in December or something like that, and uh, you know here we are in March, it's second run or third run theater. And um, there's that point in there where Ilea, now that she's been all kind of, you know, transformed, yes. they arrive at V'ger and she turns and she points through the screen and says, V'ger. And, uh, and he, here I am in that theater and uh, uh, we're, we're all competing. And my buddy, when it comes to that point, in order to outdo everybody, he stands up in the middle of the theater and he points to the screen and goes, Vija, right in the middle of the theater. I laughed so hard. I could, it was just unbelievable. I've never oh. laughed so hard in my life. Oh, my God. So oh, my God. Oh, my God. It's anyway. All right. Well, that, that's that's there. They're all at 4K in one box set plus Blu-rays, by the way. All the extras are on the Blu-ray discs. Uh, so you get 4K and Blu-ray in one box set. It's pretty great. You, you, you should have saw you should have saw the search for Spock coming, though, because after after the after after the rock, of course, they, they had them. They had to make a, you know, effectively one of those effective Westerns. So they had to they had to take it up a notch. Besides, isn't that of the course. one where where we, we get a, we get the sort of dark Captain Kirk who's kind of pissy? Uh, yeah. who, who who says let him die? Uh, yep. uh, that's that one, right? Uh, yep. Yeah, I got to tell you that that pissy Captain Kirk. I was like, you know what, homie? Yeah, I'm kind of with you on that. That dude, that dude, I think he killed his son or something like that. 
Uh, yeah, it, it, it's, right? it's, it's, it's when, uh, yes, it was his son played by, uh, Merrick, Merrick Buttrick from, uh, from, uh, um, uh, uh Square Pegs. Yeah. 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 So anyway, yeah. I don't know. I was, uh, that, that movie was kind of, plus Ricardo Montalban. Come on, man. Looking I like, know. looking exactly the same. Yeah. As he did in that 1960, whatever it would have been, uh, episode, Ricardo, it, he looked the same until the day he died. That man did not age. He was like yeah. rich Corinthian leather, Ricardo. Yeah, I know. And still, it just it didn't feel <laughs> Star Trekky enough to me. It, it like tried to erase the first film. And I remember uh. at the time I was so mad. I was right. I wrote this long letter to Starlog magazine arguing all the things that were wrong with it. And never, never, never finished it. Never finished it. I'm sure I've got a copy of it sitting around somewhere. Let's let's talk some TV if we could. Yeah. Um, we got uh, got a couple of we're coming up on Halloween here fairly soon. We're going to have a great Halloween show as we do. But if you want to get your scares in early for Halloween, got a couple of great Shutter titles here. Uh, Shutter exclusive, The Power and a Shutter original slacks. I don't really know what the difference is between a Shutter original and a Shutter exclusive. Maybe somebody could tell us gods at digigods.com or gods at cinegods.com. Go ahead and tell us. Mm. But uh, The Power, I think, is a really, really cool movie. Um, it's kind of, you know, something we've seen before. It takes place in 1974 in London, uh, and there are uh, these these blackouts, uh, you know, going all over the city. And there's this nurse in this uh, really messed up, d- down and dirty old hospital. And... Um, it's all kind of evacuated because of the blackouts and show she's there. And it's of course, you know, spooky things happen. I won't tell you exactly what, but um, you know, it, it's good. Some good scares. It's really, uh, it's pretty good. Uh, it was written and directed by Corinna faith. And mm-hmm. I say that because it, there's something different about the way that women do horror from the way that men do horror. So Corinna faith, I don't know who you are as a, as a filmmaker, but you're solid. And you're good. And I hope they give you bigger budgets to do some really, really cool things uh, in the future, because it's not a typical um, woman in jeopardy movie, as they very often are. Right. When a woman directs it, it seems less prurient. And she's sort of focusing on a different aspect of the woman in jeopardy. And the other one is called Slacks, S-L-A-X-X. Get it? Yuck, yuck. Uh, There's a there's a there's a great there's a great quote on the on the cover of this. And uh, I, I just have to, it's from Nerdist, which our, our friend and, and fellow uh, synagogue, uh, uh, Luke Thompson, writes for. Uh, it says the best movie about killer genes you could hope for. <laughs> and, and that kind of sums it up. Uh, this is about a pair of genes that are possessed. And uh, if that sounds weird and hilarious and 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 just freakish, it is. I it's it's. I'm sure they thought up the title before they thought up the movie. But it's about killer genes. It's literally about killer genes, and it's weird because uh, it, 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 this is officially stranger than the movie about the bed that eats people. That <laughs> old the, exploitation uh, what, film about. Yeah, what was what with the uh, the the rubber uh, the tire rubber rubber <laughs> yeah. the tire. It's just weird killer genes. So slacks, S L A X X. You're, you're going to laugh and it's, and you're still going to be scared. It, it kind of cuts the, it cuts it up. It, it finds that crazy middle road. What else do we have? Uh, the mayor of East town was, uh, the mayor of East town, uh, Kate Winslet. Kate was not oh, made, yeah. uh, the other night. Uh, and if yes. I'm not mistaken, I think 
Kate may have won uh, that Emmy Award the other night. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure it will be corrected. Uh, 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 otherwise, anyway, uh, uh, Kate Winslow is really, really good in that series. Uh, small town, Pennsylvania, uh, a local uh, murder she's investigating in uh, all the sort of family machinations going on. Uh, Juliana Nicholson. Oh, Juliana Nicholson won an Emmy the other night. That's right. She did. That's who, that's a, I'm that's so definitely. happy for her. She's so good. She's been so due. That's, oh, yeah, right. for, for a while now. And, of course, Jean Smart, who also won an Emmy the other night, but I think she won the Emmy for Hacks, but yeah. may have also been nominated for, uh, also in this series. So the ladies, the women, Kate and, 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 and Juliana and Jean Smart, really doing some just fantastic work in some of these uh, amazing sort of series that uh, uh, these folks, you know. Uh, I mean, Kate Winslow has really come around you know a, a, a fairly youngish movie star and what, what what would that be like the early 90s when we first meet kate uh, what was gosh it was, it, was, fierce, it was fierce creatures or something like that that, that yeah, also it was, it was the peter was jackson at. film uh, peter with jackson her and the film. other girl who killed the who killed the parents yeah yeah uh yeah. and, yeah, and here she is now man she's come full circle she's come just fantastic it's fantastic work so here, I'm going to give everybody some some advice. Uh, Mayor of Easttown, watch it before you watch the SNL spoof featurette, Murder Durder. Because <laughs> I watched Murder Durder first, and I, can, and, and I now cannot watch any of Mayor of Easttown because I'll, I just start laughing because of the accents. Did you see Murder Durder? <laughs> yes, I guess. He said yeah, you're right. They murdered my daughter. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I just, I can't, I, I, it's so funny. It's so insanely funny. Yeah, um, if those accents get brought to your attention, then it, it yeah, kind of it, it can undermine almost anything. Yeah, I have, I have a hard time with uh, oh, uh, Mystic uh, Mystic River it was the one with all yeah. the guys. Is that Mystic one? Mystic River. Yeah, yeah, I have a hard time with that one now too. <laughs> At the time, it was just like this. It seemed like intense drama, intense, intense. But now, man, those accents. Ugh. So we got we got a bunch of NCIS here. So let me just hit you. NCIS New Orleans, the complete series is out. And if that's too much for you, they also have the final season out. Uh, I got to say, man, there are a lot of guys, you know, Robert Conrad and William Shatner, who've had these long careers on multiple TV shows, right? Where they yeah. just go from being star of one show to another to another. Robert Conrad, I think, was the king of that. He had like five TV shows, you know, never got thoroughly pigeonholed into any one. Yeah. And uh, Scott Bakula is pretty close, man. Scott oh. Bakula has just he is he has anchored so many shows, and uh, NCIS New Orleans is it just proves he's he's the man. He holds it down. He wears his age, and uh, I kind of like NCIS New Orleans. I don't really like any of the other ones all that much. But I like this one. So I like the atmosphere the of that one. Sherm did a couple of those. Yeah. But I like the atmosphere of that when you write about Scott. Uh, yeah. for sure. Scott, Scott, Scott did a bit on the Emmys the other night talking about how he's been on television since 1977. Scott's a St. Louis boy, by the way. Call out St. Louis. Wow. Since 1977, Scott. And he had never, he has anchored the, the, the Quantum Leap. Yep. Uh, uh, Enterprise. Yeah. Uh, 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 obviously, this the the, the NCIS series uh, that he's that he's that he's in and now. He's, he's got at least two others, and, and, and not, not to men- mention a whole. He was you know regulars in Murphy Brown. He came in all this yeah. kind of stuff like that. Not once nominated for an Emmy. The bit he was doing was kind of funny because he you know he was kind of pissy about it. <laughs> yeah. You know <laughs> what? Bit. But you know it was, it was hysterical. It was kind of funny. 
His, 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 he can just look at his bank statement if yeah. that's ever bothersome to him. Yeah, that yeah. man is set forever. You know, also set forever is uh, uh, pretty much. Well, gosh, everybody who's in all these things, but uh, Mark Harmon is seriously set for uh, forever. This, yeah, I mean, yeah. eighteen years of the original NCIS, I is just uh, amazing to me how you can get that much out of a naval criminal investigative service and all these different shows. Is is incredible. Eighteen seasons of this thing—that's like rivaling Law and Order. Uh, and uh, this is, uh, you know, it keeps on keeps on trucking, man. It's yeah, unbelievable. Man, it's man, really man, insane. Man, man. Um, hi, let's talk for a second about NCIS Los Angeles, which is now in its twelfth season. I can't believe that. Well, that's, um, that's going to be LL and uh, O'Donnell and, and Chris O'Donnell. Yeah, that one. Right? Our homie Sherman that. did a couple of those too. And you know what? I look, I love Chris O'Donnell. I really love LL. I think LL is great. Um, and I'm glad that they got, but for some reason, maybe it's because this is our backyard. This mm. show just, I don't, I don't enjoy watching it. I'll, I'll catch an episode now and again. And I, it, to me, it's just like, yeah, I know where they're shooting at. And, uh, <laughs> I know that house. You know, you know, I, know that house. <laughs> I know that street. You know, they're there. They, you know, at that cut, they just went around that corner and they're in a different part of town. That, that, that last, that last shot is five miles away from this shot. I don't, I don't, you know, you do that kind of thing. And yeah, yeah, look, this is the thing about that show that always bugged me. I think they do always have the crime, whatever the crime is. And these guys go out of the shower. And I think to myself, I wake up every day in LA and none of these crimes, none of these exotic, wacky, dingbat crimes are ever, look, you know, we have crime. There's crime in LA, believe yeah. it or not, folks. But you know, it's just your ordinary goofball crime. You, know, you, you, you goofy murder over here the wacky thing over there every now and again a robert durst will, will pull some wacky shit off but but la is not the uh you know frankly london <laughs> if you want to pick places where crazy crimes happen of of the world it's just not uh it's just the most ordinary sort of criminal profile of any city on the planet but somehow on this show the craziest murders in the world keep happening uh, and I'm like, you're making crap up, people. You're just making crap up. Tim, how, how is it possible that Tom Selleck has been on Blue Bloods longer than he was Magnum P.I.? That, that's, how is that it, possible? It, it, this is what's even worse. The new Magnum P.I. has been Magnum P.I. longer than Tom Selleck was Magnum P.I. And, that, just, <laughs> and, 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 I, that, and that is just absolutely obscene to me. Uh, that's the same thing with yeah. the new MacGyver. The new MacGyver has been MacGyver longer than the other guy was MacGyver. Uh, but there it is. Uh, you know, uh, Tommy, well, again, 40 years on TV, dude. 40 years. Bl- I know Blue Bloods 11th season uh, still going strong. And the crazy thing is that that Tom Selleck, who's got to be pushing 80, right? He's got to be. Pocket. He's in the late, middle, late 70s for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah I mean, he's, he still still looks the same. He looks like Magnum. He, I mean, he is almost not aged at all. It's really it, surreal. I, I just don't know what to make of that. But, you know. I always go back to uh, when he when he first broke through as that that hilarious character on Rockford Files, yeah. hilarious scene stealing bit where he was the guy who always who always said to somebody, "Put him up before you you punch him." <laughs> and, and Rockford says, "What do you mean? You don't say put him up. You you don't give the guy a chance. You got you got to hit him." No, nope. he was he was a, he was an outstanding guy. Yeah. Put him up. He was a good Give him an guy. even chance. Give him an even <laughs> chance. Bam! Hits him in the face. So funny. 
so hey, priceless. It's particularly it's funny stuff. because Jim Rockford used to get knocked out in every episode of that show. That's right. That's right. <laughs> That's, why That's I love right. Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, dude, the Murdoch Mysteries, uh, Blu-ray, yeah. season 14. Murdoch Mysteries. I got. I came to the Murdoch Mysteries late, but that's another one. Um, uh, that's been on forever. The, I think you've got season 14 or something like that over there. Uh, but yeah. the Murdoch Mysteries Canadian series, uh, it's just this absolutely fantastic series that I think first popped up in the U.S. here, uh, uh, syndicated, uh, yeah. and then finally sort of migrated it, it, its, its way into the sort of mainstream. But I absolutely adore the Murdoch Mysteries. Season 14, is that what you got? Season 14, it is, uh, it is on from Acorn TV. It's on Blu-ray from the, the prolific and very, very solid ITV Studios, who also does Downton Abbey in the U.K., uh yeah this is you know uh it, it's it's solid man it's it's really solid a lot of good stuff coming out of canada we talked about that on film week recently too uh best sellers with michael kane yeah. uh you know a lot of a lot of great talent in uh in canada they they, they they're I, you know come on go canada we need more of that. I wrote a great piece on Canadian cinema that nobody ever paid attention to about 20 years ago. <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, um, uh, the Equalizer. I, I, uh, oh, yeah. Queen, Lat- Queen Latifah. Okay, look. Uh, you know, The Equalizer. First of all, you're talking about Ed. You, you're talking about me and you. We have to be talking Edward about Edward. Uh, you got to go way and back. And then Denzel. And then, of course, Denwell, Denzel in the movie series, which is not particularly connected to what was going on and, and, and Edward. Now, what Queen is doing has more in common with what was going on in that original 1980s series. Yeah. Uh, for sure. You know, she's a woman, but, but, but it's sort of in the same realm. So I love me some Queen Latifah, but I'm not sure her, I buy her just knocking cats out. <laughs> Queen Latifah knocks out three people in every episode of this show. We, 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 we talked about this in the, in the Godcast as well. And, and this is where I'm kind of drawing the line on a lot of this IP obsession, right? We talked about, you know, talking about going into Black Superman, about the, you know, the, the greatest American hero, yeah. kind of reinventing that as a South Asian woman. It's like, okay, well, hold on. If you want to make a movie or a TV series where a South Asian woman becomes an unexpected and reluctant superhero or a superheroine, well, then do that. Yeah. But don't call it, don't call it the greatest American hero. Make no. its own thing. Don't yes. don't give her someone else's hand me downs. Uh, the Equalizer. Okay, look, the Equalizer is Edward Woodward. I get the whole thing, but what Denzel is really playing as the Equalizer is Man on Fire. Yes, he's still doing his Man on Fire character as the Equalizer. Yeah, it which is even, awesome, but doesn't even have the same backstory. Really, it's not even the same backstory. So so call it something else. If you want to make a show where 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 Queen is is a straight up action. She's just kicking butt left and right, and she's just laying the law down. Then do that. But why you gotta call it the equalizer? I just, you know, I don't know why. That, why that bugs me, man. It bugs me. Just that's what we were talking about. It just bugs me. And you know, I, I get that they're I, they call it exploitation for for a reason. Yeah. But it, it seems to me that you're locking uh, the creative forces, the creative dynamic, into a box that has something to do with a different character and a different world and different things rather than uh, yeah. giving them an expansive sort of uh, palette to work from that doesn't require them yeah. to sort of adhere to it. I don't know, whatever. It, it, anyway, it rubs me the wrong way. Uh, Blacklist. We've got the eighth season of The Blacklist, which is still mm-hmm. going strong, man. It's going into its ninth season soon. Uh, I remember when this thing premiered. I can't believe it's been eight years. I did not think this was going to last more than a year, maybe two. I, yeah. I, I so uh, you know, hell with me. 
Uh, James Spader, you know, he's getting kind of old and flabby, but he's totally holding it down. He's still a great, great actor. And um, they have found all kinds of really weird ways of keeping this narrative alive. And I I give them credit for it. I I give them real credit for it. Megan Boone, I'd never heard of her before, but they're all really, you know, it show keeps on trucking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I do like I do like Spader in his sort sort of big character mode uh, that he sort of went into. Once the looks went away and the hair started to fall out, he just shifted gears and went into character mode. And you, know, you got you got to kind of love that. Uh, yeah. what, what's what's with that Burt Sugarman's uh, The Soul of the Midnight Special? I love Burt Sugarman's Midnight oh. Special. I love the Midnight Special. Growing up watching those concerts, man, because you know these were people that I would not necessarily we, see in the world in reality. What's what do you got? And we are we are gonna geek out here for a second, you and I, because this is our generation, and anybody who's younger than we are can just uh, <laughs> you, you can tune out for a minute. Uh, this is so good. This is just so good. It's just it's just great '70s soul from the Midnight Special. Midnight Special was one of those shows from the 60s and 70s where you could you know if you were up late on a friday or a saturday night there was always some show that would that would bring you into a concert venue and if you know you were too young or if you couldn't afford to to actually go to one or if you were in a city that didn't have one and you know what this whole time i was too young i'm sitting at home i'm watching tv i'm not going to hollywood clubs on saturday night or whatever i'm, I'm doing homework for middle school or you know whatever and uh, this is a chance to kind of step out and, and, and enjoy a concert. And, yeah. man, there's some good stuff on here. I mean, really, this is this is just exclusively a collection of the soul highlights from Midnight Special. Uh, Bert Sugarman, obviously, producer and promoter. Yeah. And um, he, he, here's some of what you get. You get Brothers Johnson. You get mm. James Brown. You get Isaac Hayes. <laughs> you, Sly and the Family Stone. The Spinners. Teddy Pendergrass. The OJs. Uh, Curtis Mayfield, um, Al Green, Aretha Franklin, Earth, Wind, Fire, Commodores, Natalie Cole, Peebo Bryson, Barry freaking White, Lou Rawls, Billy Preston. It just uh, Ohio players. It just doesn't end, man. It's really, really terrific. Gladys and the Pips. Yeah. It's great. You just, just you sit down. This is from Time Life. It's two volumes. Um, the first one is 1973 to 76. The next one is 74 to 1980. That is. That is just an absolutely golden period. Just sit down and you just let this thing roll. You could have hours and hours and hours of enjoyment. It's absolutely great. I can't and well produced stuff too. Really well produced. It actually live, by the way, live Live music and remastered. It sounds great. It's not all flat and tinny and 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 mono. It's really, really, really good stuff. Yeah, it's great. Loving it. Loving it. So let's talk about Batwoman, which is now in the uh, second season. We got new Batwoman. Yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. So this, uh, this, this, Ruby Rose had to tap out after what a season she, or two? Was it a whole season? Or two? She did. She did have to tap out. So uh, now we've got a whole thing with the, like they didn't just recast this because it, just as like Batman is an absentee figure in Batwoman the first season, now Kate Kane has gone missing and. Uh, this 25 year old uh, girl named Ryan Wilder finds the bat suit in the wreckage of a plane crash yeah. and uh, steps up. And this is a whole new kind of Batwoman thing, which, which I thought was a really interesting way to solve the problem. I would have expected them to just like, all right, let's find a new actress. But they didn't. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Pull the thing off where they just bring in another actress with, with, you know, yeah, they, yeah. We're, we're just going to all pretend like that's the same person. No. And of, and of course, most of that season, a uh, big chunk of that season is spent, 
uh, trying to solve the question of is Kate alive or dead? Is yeah. if she is alive, where is she, and all of that? So it's never a thing of where where you know this is bad woman. No, for one thing, it's a black girl, uh, so it's definitely not the same bad uh, uh, bat woman. Uh, and and uh, so you know that's sort of okay. What I like about that season. Uh, more than Batwoman, and she's and she's you know that character that actress she's 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 so lovely. Is they bring in a whole bunch of interesting villains. Uh, of course, we have Alice in the in the Wonderland gang, which you know a carryover from the previous story. Alice is is Kate's sister, but there's a whole other slew of villains that they bring in that are a lot of fun. They're not the traditional Batman villains, you know. There's there's there's, there's no equivalent of the Joker or equivalent of the Riddler or anything like that. So you know, I kind of I kind of dig that about that series. They're having to think of some new stuff as opposed to say like Gotham, uh, which was the Batman series about the young Batman. Right. Where right. they're, they're just basically figuring out ways to introduce familiar characters to us. So we get to meet the young Joker and the young Riddler and all that kind of stuff. Uh, this one, they have to think of some new stuff and I kind of like that. Kind of like, uh, it. Want to make some some a couple of quick. Well, let let me mention uh, some, some older stuff here. Just kind of get this out of the way before we get into a couple of other quick things. Uh, some old TV, the two worlds of Jenny Logan with oh, Lindsay Wagner and Mark yes. Singer. Um, wonderful. Lindsay Wagner just too often uh, associated only with being um, the uh, bionic six woman. Bionic woman, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is from 1979. Wonderful television movie. She's terrific in it. Um, really, really good. I, I, it's on Blu-ray. You got to check that out. That's just a wonderful performance. Shows her as an actress and all as as well as anything she's ever done. Uh, we also have Guiana, Cult of the Damned, which was the Jim Jones movie. Uh, really surprisingly very, very good, actually, uh, with Stuart Whitman playing Jim Jones mm. very effectively. I think this captures that entire ugly episode. Yeah. Um, also from 1979, it pretty much to, to the T. This is, ex- I mean, it's, it's a little exploitation y, but it really does hit the beats the, as they actually transpired. And then this really bizarre show that I had never heard of before, 39 episodes, originally aired on ABC, Code 3, L.A. Sheriff's Case Files, the complete series. Um, Totally surreal. This is, uh, you know, like from from like 1950, late 50s, I believe it was. Um, Only, you know, one season, but like incredibly young actors who would go on to do other things. Mm. I mean, like DeForest Kelly is in this as a young Mm -hmm. man. Um, you, you got the professor from, from Gilligan's Island. Um, uh, Claude Aiken's really a Mike Connors, oh my um, D- Dick Sargent. I mean, it's, it's really kind of amazing. Um, and I didn't, this was back before even the FBI before, like probably concurrent with Dragnet when they're looking for stories in case files. Right. But really an interesting show stars, this guy named Richard Travis. that I'm totally unfamiliar with, but. I got to tell you, man, that young DeForest Kelly, aces, totally aces. That guy always had it going on. Guy always had it going on. We also got some Ultraman here Uh, on Blu-ray. We've got Ultraman Zero, two movies and a bunch of specials. I, I, you know, Ultraman Zero, Dark Lops Zero, Revenge of Belial. I mean, it's all the same to me at this point. The the helmets and the horns are the only thing (laughs) that differentiate them. Mm. Um, Then a box set on uh, DVD, the complete series of Ultraman 80, uh, our hero from a distant star. This is starting to look a lot more Power Ranger-y at this point. Uh, And, uh, you know, it's a little bit cheesy. 
And then there's the animated Ultraman complete series, uh, just known as the Ultraman, which is pretty cool. Um, it has a certain filmation quality to it that I'm sure Mark Kaiser would totally lose his mind over, but 50 episodes and, uh, they do things that you can get away with in the animation that you can't really get away with in the uh, live action. So whole lot of Ultraman there. Um, let's, let's knock off a couple more before we, uh, we tune out, Tim, anything look, uh, particularly good to you here? Are we, uh, are we still over in television? I see yes. TV. I, 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 young Sheldon is, uh, moved into its fourth season. Young Sheldon, yep. of course, being the spinoff from the Big Bang Theory about the, uh, the, about the young Sheldon. Man, these things go by so fast. That's completely insane. Magnum PI. We were talking about Magnum PI. The yeah. Magnum yeah. PI. This is that. This is its third season. Uh, yeah. which is also a little bit crazy to me. Uh, SEAL Strange. Team, SEAL Team, uh, uh, SEAL Team is in its fourth season. I didn't um, think that was going to last that long either. Yeah. You know, and, and I really you're, didn't. You're blowing me away. The Good Doctor in its fourth season. Uh, I think, I think you got the, all these, these things are really, really just blowing me away. How long, how long they're sort of hanging around. It, it tells me I'm not as good at, 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 at SWAT is in its fourth season. I know. Um, uh, you know, these, shows, these are all veteran shows now. These are all veteran shows now. Uh, just made a whole lot of people a whole lot of money. And I got to tell you, almost every one of them to a one, I said, would not last 15 seconds. Some of that was just my old man jealousy thing going on, angry, pissy about my shows, you know, MacGyver and and and, uh, and Magnum PI and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But I got to tell you, it's interesting to me that, that, that a lot of these shows – that the judgment of some of these studios and greenlighting execs was correct. For whatever reason, there was an audience for three seasons of Magnum PI for people who could nope. not possibly have watched our Magnum PI. I just don't believe for a second that, uh, you know, a bunch of 45 and 50 year olds and in my case, 60 year olds um, who watched Tom Selleck in that original show are watching this new show. It's got to be a different audience. It's just got to be. Don't you hate admitting that? I, you know, it burns to hell out of me, but, you know, I'm a big enough guy to admit it. Uh, uh, it still burns to hell out of me, though. Anyway, all of those shows, third and fourth and sometimes fifth seasons, uh, apparently um, there's something to this whole, you know, IP thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm going to I'm going to wrap us out with uh, with a mention of Fear the Walking Dead, which is now, believe it or not, in its sixth season. Yeah. Fear the Walking Dead six years uh really kind of amazing um you know what lenny james is absolutely terrific really really holds this this thing down yeah uh it's still a zombie show i mean it's still but it's all about the characters it's all about the um the chemistry between the characters the family the survival the tension they're they're still they're still pulling it off even with you know all the showrunner changes and the spinoffs and everything else uh they've They've somehow turned the whole Walking Dead thing into a franchise like NCIS and Law and & Order and CSI and all the rest of them. Um, and then uh, got some a whole bunch of stuff here from um, Acorn, which I'll make uh, try to make quick mention of before we just tune the show out. These are these are all really really solid shows. Acorn has a lot of great stuff, you know, that they 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 call from overseas. This Swedish series Backstrom, which is in its first mm. series is really really great and uh really tough stuff from from scandinavia their 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 cop shows are so so good and um i you know this guy kjell berkvist who uh who stars as uh everett backstrom the the detective at the center of this thing is just so good 
And it's really, really great forensic uh, procedural stuff. And I hope they don't remake it here because they'll just absolutely completely they did. ruin it. They did. They remade they, Backstrom. They remade it and ruined it. It was, it was it, with that with with that with that guy Rain Wilson from the. Uh, oh, from did the they really? Yeah. Well, yeah see, yeah. that's why I don't. That's why I don't watch this stuff. Thank you yeah. for letting me know. I'll mm-hmm. know what to look out for. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a great Welsh show with Eve Miles called Keeping Faith, which is now in its third series. Um, it's just you know beautiful, beautiful first-rate production value. Um, some amazing, great British performers, performers from the UK show up in this thing. Um, just absolutely terrific acting. You really, really want to watch this. It's just, it's, you know, she plays a lawyer. It's a, it's a, it's a legal thriller, but it's just absolutely first rate. And uh, Eve Miles, I, would, I don't want to take her away from the UK, but boy, she'd be good in something in Hollywood. Mm. Uh, and then Vikram Seth's uh, bestseller, A Suitable Boy, has been turned into, uh, has been produced for television in a really, really wonderful way. It's six episodes. I'm not familiar with the book, but uh, BBC Studios did this. It shows up here on Acorn TV. And it's an it's absolutely wonderful. It's uh, it's uh, directed by Mira Nair, who, of course, you know, is the perfect mm-hmm. person to do this. And she just brings all of her all the cultural sensibilities that she needs to as someone who is, you know, Indian, lives in Uganda, works in the United States and in the UK. Mira is a is a citizen of the world and she mm. brings all of that worldliness to this. It's just absolutely delightful. Maybe the most wonderful thing that I've seen her do uh since Monsoon Wedding. So yeah. a suitable boy is just absolutely delightful. Uh don't miss it. Lastly, James Nesbitt in Bloodlands, uh, which is you know more just gritty, gritty British. Uh it's Irish in this case. It's just gritty Irish toughness you know it's cold and it's procedural and uh it's you know it's all about cold cases and he's just james nesbitt is just such a great crusty figure it's yeah. really really good and then lastly uh baltazar series three which we've talked about before uh still going strong really really good cop show uh more forensic uh stuff uh, you know forensic pathology and whatnot eight episodes on this one uh also produced by itv which we mentioned earlier the uh, company, the television production company that is behind so much great stuff, including Down Abbey. So there it is. That's it for the week. Tim, what are you going to do this week? Uh, I'm going to quietly av- avoid <laughs> the Delta variant and everything else. Actually, um, um, I'm on the radio this coming Friday, so I'm crunching movies like you would not believe. Um, uh, I know the drill. That's that's the drill. Um, uh, and, and other than that, uh, things should be fine uh, as we move into the fall season. Of course, we're going to be looking forward to all of the rest of the sort of uh, award uh, programs and everything. It's, it's starting around, I don't know, in the next month or so, uh, things will get underway. Uh, legit, more film festivals, more people back in the real world. So things, I don't know, look, looking a little bit more normal. Yeah, our, our award season on slots going to start pretty soon, you know. Yeah, I wonder if they're going to time things a little bit more different. Like, because you know how everything happened so quick last year. Yeah, uh, it's crazy. I, I'm not. I'm, you know, I'm, I hope we figure that one out this year, and they, and it's yeah. not all just so jammed up. I just a little bit more time. I need a little bit more time. I can't watch yeah. so many movies all at once. I hear you. Well, let's hope so. Let's hope so. Otherwise, uh, we wish everyone well. Stay safe out there, and we will see you in uh, probably a couple of weeks. All right.